Hey everyone, back with another episode of Inside the Squad. I'm really excited about this one uh, for a couple reasons. One, it was just a great talk that we had, about an hour-long talk, great information. I learned a lot, and we spoke with Jen Bouchore-Berry, Executive Director of the Hartford House. The Hartford House Child Advocacy Center here in Tippecanoe County. Uh, if you don't already know from listening to this, that they are the beneficiary or all the proceeds will go to the Hartford House, uh, all the proceeds from the Foot Pursuit 5K. That's Saturday, April 13th. That's coming up quick over at SIA. Uh, I think once you listen to this and get more insight to exactly what the Hartford House does, it's good information to know, but you'll also be more apt to uh, do what you can to, to help that organization out because they do good work there uh, make sure you sign up for the race footpursuit5k.itsyourrace.com enjoy the episode your face heard it let's go <laughs> jen thank you for being here well thanks so much for inviting me you got your coffee i like to see that as i do as well everybody's here today i'm super excited it must be the coffee. It's working. I feel good. Except if you can hear, I, I'm a little congested. <clears throat> this is a little earlier than we normally do the podcast. So it everyone's is. Everyone's got coffee this morning. Yeah. But no, it's going to be good. Uh, Jen, will you go ahead and just tell us a little bit about you real quick? Well, do you want to know the whole backstory of my entire life or just, you know, the short snippet of who I am? And You know what? what we I have do. time. Let's hear it. Let's hear the whole backstory. Right? So my name is Jen Bouchoreberry. I'm the executive director of Hartford House Child Advocacy Center, and um, we we are um, the Child Advocacy Center serves Tippecanoe and the six surrounding counties, and I've been doing that for eight years. So I graduated from Purdue, um, transplanted here to go to Purdue, graduated in Human Development Family Studies, and where'd you come from? Chesterton, Indiana. Where's that? Northwest Indiana, Indiana Dune State Park. Okay. Oh, wait, it's a national park now, right? It's national. Yeah. It's it national a- now. Okay. So I'm from there. Oh, yeah. all right. They've got a great marching band at their high school, don't they? I was in that marching band. Oh, congratulations. Thanks. Wow. Nice. Discipline. I twirled. You twirled? Yeah. Nice. Okay. All right. Maybe, so anyways, maybe I'll bring my flag out and I can do a little number for you. We have flags. <laughs> we can make that happen. <laughs> All right, so you transplanted here, went to Purdue. Purdue. What'd you study? Human Development and Family Studies. Okay. And so kind of, I had to do an internship, and here I am 20-some years later. Right on. But I've been with Hartford House for eight years. So where were you before the Hartford House? So, well, I started at the Domestic Violence Program. I was a child advocate there for like five and a half years, and then got involved with alcohol, tobacco, other drug prevention work, working with law enforcement, prevention, treatment people. And so, kind of got back into the stuff that I really love. Which is? Helping kids. Helping kids? Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. But it sounds like you just genuinely want to help everyone. Yeah, I mean, that's what I went to school to do is serve the community. Well, you definitely don't get in those roles to not help and not care. That's for sure. That's for sure. We definitely need you, so we appreciate uh, what you do then and now. I know I – yeah, doing that role would be tough. I know it's tough on our end when we uh, interact with kids or, you know, we see kids on scene and whatnot and see where they live, but – you hear even the deeper stories, right, like what they've gone through. So Yeah, so when Hartford House opened – we opened April of 2000 and really for Tippecanoe County. So like our initial plan was just to serve here and um, that we would just see kids who were victims of child sexual abuse because those are really hard cases to prove. Mm. So getting um, an interview with the child and, and hearing those details and there's, you know, and having a trained person do that, that was really the purpose of getting started in 2000. And so here we are 19 years later where we're seeing last year we conducted 848 interviews. Wow. And that's for a seven county area. And that ranged from child sexual abuse. That is the highest percentage of cases we see, but then also witnesses to crime. So kids who've witnessed domestic violence, kids who've witnessed homicide, um, drug endangered kids, kids who might know stuff about things going on in terms of, um, 
you know, drug use in the home, um, physical abuse, and then neglect as well. So really, how do we help those kids share what's going on, helping professionals of law enforcement, prosecutor's office, department of child services, uh, get the information that they need to be able to, to figure out what's going on and how do we, how do, how do we kind of proceed um, is really what we're doing at this point. Okay. Wow. So when you say child, what, what ages are we talking here? So we generally see ages 3 to 17. Uh, last week I did interview a two and a half year old, um, wow. you know, cause there's times that maybe they need to see if we can figure out some information for younger. And we also provide space when adults have disabilities, but have been victims of a crime. And, um, we've partnered with adult protective services to interview adults when they've needed some specialized interviews. Okay. And obviously it depends on maturity level of the kid. You maybe that two and a half year old speaks very well right i mean yeah and and um no oh, okay. well, you know i mean i heard a couple things but yeah um yeah just you know if if we do have somebody who can communicate that's younger you know we will try to see what we can do to kind of figure out what's happened if something's happened wow all right so 848 cases just last year those were those were the forensic interviews we conducted and over the that time that we've been open like we went when i started Eight years ago, it was just me and a $60,000 budget. And um, now we have four staff members, $250,000 budget. We moved to a new space because we were increasing the number of interviews we were seeing, but we were the need was increasing. So we have a full-time advocate. And so our advocate's able to, to talk with the non-offending caregiver and figure out what is it that this child, this family needs to be able to stabilize. So if something's happened, how do we help them now? So beyond the interview, how do you help them? What, what? Well, our advocates able to help the parents get um, the child into counseling. So we've gotten some funds to be able to, to pay for therapy. If, if a family has a, a child has a need for therapy, but the family might not be able to have the ability to pay. So making sure they're getting to therapy so that they're able to, to really be survivors from what's happened. Um, she's helping parents get protect, you know, kind of figure out where to go to get protective orders and partnering, um, with the the victim advocate here to get that done. But in those other six counties, she had to figure out how do we help those families? Because here in Tippecanoe County, we're pretty resource rich. We have a lot of of programs and services, but the other six counties we serve, they don't have the same kind of stuff. So figuring out what can we do in those communities to provide the same level of of service to those kids and those families. You know, it's interesting because we really do, uh, I think maybe we uh, take, advantage of not maybe take advantage of but we uh we just don't realize how good we have it here right i mean there's a lot of counties that just don't have what we have what, what do you think statewide how many counties have the resources we have do you know i i really don't know but just okay in in um so the six surrounding counties and it's um we don't serve well we serve i should tell you who we serve benton carroll fountain montgomery Tippecanoe, Warren, and White. So those are the counties we serve. And six of those, um, there's even just a difference in terms of, I mean, they all have Department of Health Services, they all have some sort of law enforcement, they have a prosecutor. But none of our other counties have investigators. And Well, one of them has an investigator and prosecutor's office, but they don't all have investigators in the prosecutor's office like we do. They don't, um, none of the other ones have victim assistance in their prosecutor's office. They have, um, you know, they have the, the attorney and, and clerical people, but they don't necessarily have the same size mm-hmm. of, of a prosecutor's office that we do. They all have Department of Child Services, um, but they're law enforcement. You know, here in, in Lafayette, how many, how many detectives do we have? You know, yeah. and they're specialized. You've got the criminal side and you've got the juvenile side. But we have some counties, they might have one detective and he's got some other duties too, you know, so how can he be specialized in one area? So that's part of what we try to do as well is help support the professionals we work with and how do we get the training and needs help them with their needs so that they're able to respond to these cases the best we can. Yeah. I think that's an excellent point that you bring up because the training that goes involved uh, just from the interview perspective is, is very, very detailed and time consuming. 
you, can you talk a little bit about the, some of the training that the interviewers go through? Yeah, but we have detectives, obviously, that have been through that. I think Tippecanoe County has as well. But uh, and the prosecutor's office also has their investigators have gone through the finding words, correct? Well, it's updated to child first. Okay. So finding words um, has evolved. And so we get trained um, in child first. And there are, in Tippecanoe County right now, six trained interviewers. One is, so there's five that are con- currently conducting interviews in our space and one that's in the process of getting trained. So uh, there will be six people in Tippecanoe County that provide those interviews. And four of them are on the Hartford House staff. And the other two are investigators in the prosecutor's office. And so for us to be in, and we have a standard of of conducting interviews in our space. And so we go through this child first training, which is a week long, um, really teaching about child development. Now I study child development, so it's really a condensed version of, you know, kind of understanding development of kids, language and things like that, but child development, understanding child abuse and, and kids, kids, they don't disclose right away. They recant after they've disclosed because because they're kids and their brains aren't developed the same way. So training on that kind of stuff and trying to understand it. Um, we get trained in how to, to help kids remove any blocks or barriers to talking about what's happened. And then we learn the protocol of, of how to conduct the interview. And we have to practice it and take a test. So, um, I mean, that's, you know, that's just the initial training. And then we've been, I said that there's this person that's in the process. So she's gone through that and we're working to help her be prepared to, to conduct an, an interview through role playing and, and practicing and talking through watching interviews and, and, um, we're actually going to be role-playing. We have an intern in our office, and they're going to be using her to, to role-play so she can get that, that new person get some practice because it's, it, it's not easy to kind of get talking to kids about these things. And so um, then after we get that initial training, we keep up. We have continuing education hours we have to complete every year. We watch each other's interviews so we can get better at um, what we're doing because that's our goal. I mean, our, our, the ultimate goal is the best interest of every child who walks in the door. And how do we figure out what that is? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, too, man, there's so many different questions I have. But uh, for the children, you were talking about how they recant. But a lot of these people that have committed these crimes against these children, they know them in some way, shape, or form. They trust them. They love them. So isn't it's hard for a child. They're so forgiving. It's hard for a child to talk about it, right? Or to talk badly about them. Is that fair to say? It is very hard for kids to talk about this because nationally the number is um, 10% of offenders know, or are strangers. 10% of the, the offenders against children are strangers because it's so easy for us to think, oh, it's, the, the, it's that stranger guy. But and the reality is, is that in our community, it's less than 10% of the offenders are a stranger. Mm-hmm. So it's always somebody that the young person knows, the child knows. And so if if it's somebody you know and it's somebody who's developed a relationship with you, it becomes very hard becomes very hard to talk against that person if it's somebody you love, if it's somebody in your family. And so when when something's going on like that, kids might, they love this person 90% of the time. Yeah, but it's just this. This I don't like this, and it's hard to figure out how do you share that with somebody because you don't want to get that person in trouble. And they know that, right? They know that if they talk about what happens, that person is going to get in trouble potentially. And and has the if the potential offender has said, "Hey, I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to hurt somebody else. I'm going to hurt myself." I mean, that's a lot of weight on a. Or you're going to be taken away from the family, and yeah. They're going to be removed from their loved ones based on, you know, things that they might disclose. Right. Something's going to happen and you'll ruin everything. Mm -hmm. And so when you think kids, kids' minds are not like ours where they can't go, oh, that's not true. They can't process through necessarily. That becomes their truth. Like, oh, something bad's going to happen if I, if I talk. I'm still stuck on the 848 cases. No, not cases, interviews. Interviews, interviews I'm sorry. But, interviews. So, but are those all different cases then, for the most part? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Um, still, that's way too high. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I, I hate hearing that. 
I mean, I, I think it's a it's a testament to you and your staff and, and, and the job that you guys have done for a number of years. I, I know it didn't start off that way, but, yeah, seven counties. Is ISP included in that as well? Do theirs? Yeah, we work with state police, um, particularly some of the smaller counties. They have state police do the, the – they, they use their detectives to do the investigation yeah. because they know – they kind of know a little bit more than maybe a, one of the local – guys they've had additional training and things like that yeah but you know i think by and large for most people that are that don't know about the hartford house and the services yeah. that that would be a shocking number yeah. I, know, oh, yeah I know you've mentioned that like three times it's not a shock to me just having spent many years in detectives and i understand what those numbers are and where they come from but yeah seven eight seven counties well here's what yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about on top of that is that probably doesn't even touch the amount of uh cases or bad things that are actually going on that haven't been reported either. Correct. Right. You know? Right. Now, Jen, you have you have all these services at Hartford House, but how do cases come to you? Do you have a forward-facing um, service that, you know, someone can just pick up the phone and call you and say this is happening? Or, I mean, how what, what starts the ball rolling? That's a really great question because um, we, we provide interviews for children who have been referred to us from Department of Child Services, law enforcement, or prosecutor's office. Those are the only kids that we'll interview. Um, we do have we do have a phone number, and people call us and, and talk to us about different concerns that they have, and so we can help them figure out, okay, do you need to make a report? So we've you know encouraged people to make reports. If they've told us enough um, that we feel like you know, you, there's something that needs to be done, um, we encourage them to do that. But there's times that maybe um, something's happened somewhere else and, and a child has moved here and support or services are needed for the family once they get here. We've helped with some families with our advocacy services to, to get stabilized. Um, we provide some therapy for some kids that um, were placed here with family members and we were able to support them through their healing process. So we're able to do some things outside of those interviews, but those interviews are really just from law enforcement, prosecutor's office, department of child services. It's incredible. Well, so. it makes sense that it has to come through those because more than likely if you're getting contacted, a crime has occurred. So yeah. we won't need to go through the, the determination of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It helps in that. Correct. Um, well, and it really being that first step in that investigative process correct. too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you to kind of go back. Um, you said you, when you started off, you had a sixty thousand dollar budget, and now you're at two hundred fifty thousand. Yeah. And when you hear those numbers, you're like, "Oh, that's that's a lot more money." But is it really a lot more money compared to the the caseload, the workers that you need? I mean, does that quickly dwindle? Well, we. I feel like we are a really fiscally responsible agency, and try so hard to um, use our resources well. Um, I have a staff member that's currently at Huntsville, Alabama is where Child Advocacy Center started back in the 80s. And they had their national conference going on this week. And so one of our staff members has been down there. And so she had texted me and she was like, I don't even know how people do these jobs. So there was a uh, agency that she talked to does the same similar work that we do. They had 1500 cases last year. And she said they have like, three full-time forensic interviewers and four full-time family advocates. And, you know, she's like, it just is boggling her mind because she said, you know, that's so many more staff members than what we have in our office. Um, and it's about double, not quite double the interviews, but a lot more staff. Mm. And, you know, we, I think we do a lot with a little. Um, so it is a lot more money, but in comparison to other child advocacy centers, we are pretty small in our staff numbers and, and um, for the number of children we're seeing. What, what is the source of your funding? So we have um, a Victims of Crime Act grant, which is uh, VOCA, is what people might know it as. And that's a federal grant that comes through the state of Indiana through the Criminal Justice Institute. So that's actually what got us started in um, 2000 was a, a VOCA grant. And so we have that funding, and we also have um, a contract with Department of Child Services to provide child advocacy center services. So that's what has helped us to, to do some of our growth too. And then um, 
private donations and fundraisers. And we actually um, started under the umbrella of another agency when we got started in 2000. And so we became our own 501c3 nonprofit organization in um, July 1st of 2011 is when we kind of broke off and became our own thing. So we really are kind of young in terms of a nonprofit on our own. Fundraisers, huh? Yeah. Ian? How about that, Ian? Do you know anything about that? It's plug time. Well, I will say, and I was going to try not to talk about it until towards the end because I've been talking about it for the past four months. Uh, But, you know, when we started the Foot Pursuit, it was originally uh, now Captain Clyde. He was, when I talked about it years ago, he was still a detective, I believe. He he was still a detective because he and I talked about it. Oh, really? About doing the 5K? Yeah, I was like, man, let's do a 5K. You know, where would the money go? And it was Joe Clyde that said, hey, we should give it to the Hartford House. And I was immediately, I was like, absolutely. I mean, what better cause than to give the children a need, period, in our community? Uh, All about it. Still all about it. And so, uh, you know, once they brought me into the community outreach unit and I had to kind of, Hey, can I do this? I had to ask a few times and they finally, they being, you know, at the time, Lieutenant Galloway and the chief, they're like, all right, you know, go ahead. Um, started the foot pursuit 5k. And again, all proceeds going to the Hartford house. Once the first event was over last year and we were able to give you guys that check, I didn't realize how much you guys could utilize the money. Cause I just didn't know a whole lot about the Hartford House because I, you know, as a patrolman, uh, you don't actually deal with the Hartford House directly. It's more detectives, and so even now I'm still learning and hearing these numbers. So it just it means even more to be able to give you guys uh, funding to to help those children in need. So you know we'll continue to keep doing what we're doing to help you out as much as possible. And you know I really ask the community to sign up for the race, even if you're not a runner, you can walk. Even if you don't want to walk it, register for the race. You'll get a nice comfy T-shirt. You can come out, meet meet some police officers, meet some good people in the community, uh, maybe even win some free stuff. we got a raffle going on. But, again, all that stuff, all the proceeds are going to go to the Hartford House, and you've heard a little bit of how how it will help. So, uh, And it's footpursuit5k.itsyourrace.com is where you can register. And we'll put it in the, the links below on SoundCloud and and all that. Yeah, give us and a date. April 13th. Thank you. They're keeping me rolling. <laughs> April 13th, uh, registration that morning or sign-in will start at 730. It's at SIA, east side of the property. I'm going to have a flashing sign out on 38 like I did last year to direct you in. The uh, the criminology uh, or crim society over at Ivy Tech, those students will be volunteering to help you know where to park and directing you in the right direction to the race. Jen will be there. She's going to be uh, my meet and greet to point you in the right direction so you know where you're going. But uh, it'll be a good time. It was a good time last year, and I'm looking forward to it. So, yeah, Tell us a little bit about how much we raised last year, what our goals are for this year. So last year we were able to give the ladies at the Hartford House $11,000. And uh, I would love to double that this year. We're well on our way. Um, you know, thank you, or thanks to all of our sponsors. Um, if you go to that registration site, all of our sponsors are on there. But uh, our uh, presenting sponsor this year, Apollo's Water, they helped us out quite a bit. So thank you to them. <clears throat> Klein Chiropractic Center, um, Franciscan, and Freckles, they were some of our top donors. So thank you so much to them. Yeah. Uh, and if you cannot run 5K, show up and walk. Yeah, walk. Hang out. Walk. Yep. Volunteer. Um, right. Yeah. You can yeah, register. Yeah. And just donate. Please. Volunteer I mean, time. yeah, there's even on the registration site uh, this year, you're able to donate. You can just buy a T-shirt if you want, if you don't want to show up. Uh, there's plenty of ways that you can you can donate and help out the cause. Well, then there's that one-mile fun run. Yes. Thank you. See, this is what the group's for. Wow. There is a one-mile fun run. So the 5K, we have it at $25 to register. The fun run's 15 Reason is, A, to donate to the Hartford House, and then you also get a nice, comfy T-shirt. So um, if you want to come out and walk that, yeah, 
it's, it's going to be a good time. We have our kettlebell swing challenge. So last year was a pull-up challenge. If you're a registered participant, you can participate in the challenge. So the SWAT challenge this year is a one-minute American kettlebell swing challenge. And I, I, I have, don't know what that is. I, you're right. It's, it's all we'll over get you going. I, I, We'll get you going. YouTube it. Is American kettlebell swing. Um, we need to get you to make a tutorial video. We're going to make a tutorial <laughs> video, and we'll put it on Twitter. Um, <laughs> we'll do that soon. We'll make it happen. So yeah. is, has everyone here seen the, the 5K Foot Pursuit yeah, it's promotional hysterical. video? Have you seen the bloopers, the outtakes? Oh, no. Oh, yeah, is that an option that. to see that? Oh, yeah. That's oh, on Twitter, Oh, where do I go there? Too. Who do you have to that? know to see we, that? Uh, well, it's on Twitter, right? We posted that? Yeah, right? we posted it on Twitter. Yeah? That's a must-see. Okay. Yeah. Well, Note to self. Lots, lots of laughs. You. Lots Listen, of laughs. Ian, nobody's ever said, nobody publicly has said thank you for doing this, but, you know, in addition to the donations and the, and the funding that you're raising for... Hartford House. There's also intangible benefits, and awareness, visibility, and I, I think it's really important. And I just wanted to say thank you for all the efforts that you do and the energy you put into it. Thank you, Patty. She I appreciate that. I enjoy it. it. I enjoy it. I, no one again. So uh, I don't. Hopefully, Shannon doesn't care, Mrs. Withers. So Shannon Withers, she's on your board. Yes, she is for the Hartford House. She's known me since I was in fifth grade. Uh, her her sons are two of my very good friends. But anyways, when I gave the check to you guys last year, when she was telling me about how much you guys could use it, it just it meant a lot coming from her. Meant a lot just knowing that it helped you guys and, and the kids. So uh, although I I do appreciate it, it's you know it's totally my pleasure, and I you know I'll I'll do as much as I can and continue to do it until people tell me that to stop doing it. <laughs> And even then, I'll try to fight it. <laughs> well, and Ian, it really, I, it, it really makes a huge difference to have that support. Uh, the fact that it's coming from Lafayette Police Department and your energy in doing it, and it's been a lot of fun. To I'm really excited about going to watch the bloopers because the actual promotion video makes me laugh. And the work that we do can be heavy, so it's fun to have somebody who's so motivated to support something. that It means a lot to me because the work that we do every day is so important. Oh, and, I agree. Um, it's something that until we moved to a new building in May of 2011, or not 2011. 18. 18. You know, whichever I was there. year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the artwork I on the wall. That. Yes. Well, actually, yeah. So we moved, actually, we moved in um, May of 2017. The oh. artwork came in 2018. Okay. But you were there. I remember that now. So um, we moved to our new building in, in 2017. And until that point, we kind of were under the radar. And people didn't really know that we existed. And so we put a sign out front and, and kind of publicized ourselves a lot more. And, and you've really brought a lot of attention to what we're doing. And the support of, of Lafayette Police and your energy behind it has been so fantastic. And we really appreciate all of your efforts in that. No worries at all. No worries. No worries. What, what work? Hmm? I said, no worries at all. Sorry, I'm mumbling. I told you I'm kind of congested, and I just can't get rid of it. But no, seriously, it's my pleasure. So enough about me. You're the rock star. You're the one who's helping these kids. So again, there's so many so many things we could talk about. Can you tell us some signs that you guys see, like some apparent signs that a child has been abused? So like things that people can um, yeah, can like, be mindful of? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, if you – there's lots of different things you can kind of pay attention to. Um, there's – one of the things that – and if I could mention too is we, we do an outrage – we do some outreach and we're trying to teach adults what can we do to protect kids from child sexual abuse. And so I'm a facilitator for Stewards of Children, which is a two-hour workshop teaching adults on what we can do. There's five steps to protect kids. And – we want to, and we partner again with Lafayette Police Department to host that, and we want to really make sure that people understand what are the things to watch for, because we can all make a difference if we notice something. We don't just like push it under the rug or don't pay attention, but really ask further questions. So things to watch for in kids is really um, has there been a change in behavior? Something that you know you're like, oh, something has really changed here. Um, they've become more. Um, quiet or really reserved, um, things that have changed in smaller kids, maybe in bathrooming issues and, and having some accidents when they didn't used to things like that. You might watch for kids talking about stuff that you're not sure where they learn certain words. Um, if it's something that that's new or different and, and just asking those questions, it's really important to ask open-ended questions about, 
um, anything that's ever happened to them they don't like. We really have to get away from good touch, bad touch. Uh, that's not the kind of conversation to have with kids because it's very confusing for children because those touches may feel good, but they're oh, I see. Yeah. bad touches. So really talking to kids about things that they like or don't like, um, touches that, that make them that they like or don't like or make them confused. What a, how about educating the child? I mean, is that important? So, so important to use proper terminology with kids. We can really protect kids by telling them what to call their body parts, not silly names. I know it can be hard. I'm a parent myself. It can be hard to have conversations about private parts and what to call them, but so important that we teach kids about what their private parts are called because we don't have silly names for fingers, right? We don't have silly names for, for our ears, but when we start giving you know different names for private parts and um, it makes it more secretive, maybe I shouldn't talk about these things, but you know, really talking about what are the proper body part names and that what we would want them to do. These are your private parts. Nobody can touch your private parts. If somebody does something, what do you want them to do? Helping them to understand the names, what you know that it's the boundary, and what you want them to do. So important for for parents. I, I think that's huge because that's how we've raised our kids. And you know, yeah, he may. I have two boys, and you know, when they're one and a half, two, you know, may run around and say penis. And you're like, oh, hey, you know. My but I rather them say that and know that if they're at school and they go to the teacher, they're like, hey, such and such has, has touched, touched me on my penis versus, hey, they touched my, my turtle. You know, and the teacher's <laughs> like, well, you know, then just tell them to leave your turtle alone. And they just don't know, right? Because right. they use that, you know, the, and I just think that's so important because when he goes up and says, no, touch my penis, then they're like, oh, oh, well, okay. And then they right. they. F- they're more likely to further investigate that right on the spot. And I think I that's truly required. Huh? They're required well, by yeah, law. Yeah, it's required. But <laughs> I'm just saying, like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no question right. about it. This is what has occurred. Did so. you use something like turtle or cookie or? Correct. Yeah, nobody knows what right. you're talking about. And right. so I, I think that's a great point to bring up for sure. Yeah, and I think that brings up an, another thing that we haven't talked about is when you, when you look at you know, exposure for kids and who they're around the majority of the time, nine months out of the year, a lot of these kids are in school mm-hmm. in the environment and they're with teachers. And so who better to see changes in behavior that you were talking about than, than educators and administrators? What is it on that front that, I mean, we have SROs that are in the school, obviously. School um, resource officers. School resource officers. Thank you, Patty. <laughs> so obviously their their responsibilities are a little bit different and their interaction with with the students is different than it is for a teacher that's in a classroom. For teachers that are listening to this, what what recommendations could you make or what educational pieces might be out there for them to take advantage of? So stewards of children is definitely something we try to get to different schools, and we've partnered with some of the school corporations to have um, training so that they kind of know what to look for and know how to respond because that's an important piece too is, you know, if you have a concern for a child, how do you respond? And it's so important to make sure that you ask those open-ended questions. That's what we do in our interviews. I don't ask them about some report that came in and is this what happened. I really ask them about is there anything going on that's that they're worried about, anything that's bothering them. Has there been a time um, somebody's done something to you you didn't like? And so having the those conversations, if you see something that's concerning for you in a child, just you know, you know, letting them know. You can talk to me if there's ever a time that there's something going on that's bothering you, and and asking questions very openly about, is there something going on you need to talk about? And can we, um, can we really help them to, to communicate that or knowing who they can go talk to? If you see some, a child who's in need, there's something different. What's going on? If you don't want to feel comfortable talking to me, is there somebody you'd like to talk to? Yeah, that's... Yeah, it just bugs me that there are people out there that could hurt a child, you know, but that's why we have places like the Hartford House and the police and whatnot. Um, as far as resources and stuff being donated, what else could you, you the Hartford House, use that 
maybe if somebody's, you know, a business or organization or even a private citizen hears this and is like, hey, I could I could help provide that. I mean, what could you guys use? We have um, a wish list on our on our website. So we have a website now and I try to keep it updated. But um, what is the website? It's Hartford.net. H-E-A-R-T-F-O-R-D.net. Okay. And there is our wish list on there. We generally a lot of times the things that we really need are like toilet paper and paper towel and copy paper, things that you don't really think about as huge needs. Those are the things we go through a lot and I hate spending money on them, but um, we need them. So there's other items that we could use um, and, and the support that we get from people, uh, people giving us coloring books and crayons, we give those out to kids because sometimes when kids leave us, they're going for medical exams or, you know, depending on what's going on, they might not be going right home. So trying to give them something that they can do. So we have um, those on our list too, coloring books, crayons, um, what are those things called? Pencils, coloring pencils and, and adult coloring books because we do see teenagers and, you know, it's a good stress reliever for kids. So a lot of times we'll be giving those to them while they're with us. Just give them something yeah, to absolutely. take their mind off what's clothing, going Clothing, is that? We don't have space to, to really store clothing for kids. Okay. Jen, cool. what's, a, what's a normal day like for an interviewer, for one of your people. I one mean, of the people. Do you keep normal hours? So we all have kind of regular hours, but in our facilities generally open Monday through Friday, eight to five. However, we are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So there's always, so just if, if a crime happens and, and police are on the scene and they have a young person that, Hey, we need to get this kid interviewed. Um, I'll get a call in the middle of the night as well as Department of Child Services and law, or Prosecutor's Office, and we'll all show up um, whenever necessary at our facility and conduct that interview. So we do have regular hours, but then there's those emergencies that come up because we want to make sure that we talk to that child right away about what happened and um, anything that, that you know kind of needs to be known. And so a regular day, it, it, every day is so different. We don't like to talk about things being quiet at our office because then that seems like it brings a lot of busyness. So a lot of times we talk about <laughs> we um, we this week has been a little busy, and um, we've had a lot of families in our facility, and and every day just brings lots of different counties and people and figuring out what is that need for today. What does uh, how long does the interview usually last? Is there like a it depends kind of on average? the age? Oh, no, okay. um, it, you know it really depends on the age. And and we have some really skilled interviewers. We have somebody on our staff who's really fantastic at interviewing young children. And so I might be twenty thirty minutes with a four year old, and she has talked to a four year old for an hour. So you know it really can be depending on the child and depending on the interviewer and circumstances. You probably it can't uh, be stressed enough of how important the interview is, right? Because you got to make sure you aren't asking or you are asking the correct questions and making that child comfortable and establishing that bond with, right? Isn't there some type Our of goal? So the first part of the um, interviewing protocol is rapport building. So really, just talking with the the young person about the room, and and I always like to make sure that they know. I don't want to assume. I don't want to assume the they say something that I know what they mean. So, you know, helping them to understand I'm going to ask questions and, and I'm going to ask questions differently than we might ask kids questions on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And I really want to get them um, helping me to understand them and who they are. It also, that rapport building also helps interviewers make sure that they understand the child and the child understands them. So it gives us a chance just to make sure we're on the same page page in terms of communication. So that that's the first part of the interview. Tell me, tell me, what do you like to do? And mm-hmm. I, I like to learn about school and all about school and then your family and, um, anything that's, you know, person wants to tell young person wants to tell me. And then, um, the next part is really transition to topic of concern. And so our usual question, do you know why you're here today? Like, I mean, that's not suggestive at all. Um, cause a lot of times kids might not, they might know why they're there. So 
transitioning to that topic concern, what's going on. And then the next part of the interview is really the details. Lots of kids come to us that nothing's happened. You know, I mean, there's a report made. There's a concern for a child. They bring the child to us. We're trying to make sure that we're not leading or suggesting because maybe nothing's happened. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure that we are conscientious of that. So um, that transition to topic of concern, the child might say no. And then we just talk about body safety. So, you know, how do you keep your body safe? And are there parts of your body other people shouldn't see? And, uh, you know, what are those parts? And has anyone ever seen that? Um, So, you know, just kind of gathering any information. And then closure. How do we help um, kids just kind of we reflect on the whole interview. Uh, They get to ask us questions. I've been asked some crazy questions by young people. Um, So they get to ask me questions. And then we, you know, kind of, Say okay, if they're you know what do you what do you do if something like this ever happens again, and giving them the skills to know who to go to, and that's kind of the whole process. But I'm never asking like, hey, did so and so do this? Because that's what if what if a report was completely wrong? Right. I don't want to suggest it. Yeah, now you have now that's in their head, like, oh, did that or mm-hmm. yeah, I, I get it. So obviously. Unfortunately, you you ladies have heard some probably horrible things come out of. You you keep saying young person. Is that kind of like this? What, well, is that? just because. So we see teenagers, and I hate to. I practice at not saying kids. Oh, okay. I was just so, no. It's that's really because I. You know, teenagers hate to be called kids. No, I get it. Uh, so, again, you hear all these horrible things. What do you as what what do you do for the staff and yourself to help? maybe cope with something if it really hits you at home. Have you ever had that? Like it hits you hard. You're like, wow, that's, that's pretty disturbing. Um, are there resources for your staff? So our organization is working to make sure we're taking care of our staff, um, because of, of secondary trauma mm-hmm. that can happen to any, I mean, you guys are in law enforcement. I mean, you guys have that same stuff that you, you, you guys see stuff that I don't know that I could see. And I learned from a law enforcement officer, I hear stuff from kids he doesn't want to hear. Correct. And so, so, you know, I'm like, okay, you know. Um, So what we try to do, we like to have a good time. I like to have a good time. So I like to have fun with my staff. So we do outings to have fun. And we um, have been working through a book trying to figure out how how do we corporately deal with what we know and hear and see. Good. Good. That's important. I mean, that's, that is really Because you important. guys see some stuff. Yeah, I know, but I don't know. I... So all the interviews are recorded and probably transcribed. Is that admissible in court? Should it advance to that level? So interviews are recorded for the purposes of an investigation. So the kids don't have to go through that again and again and again. Right. Um, they are not always admissible in court. They're... To get them um, admissible into court for criminal investigation, because you know we've got both criminal and the Department of Child Services, so the the that part too, for the criminal side, um, the prosecutor's office would have to go through some some steps to get them into that court case, um, so they aren't necessarily able to just oh well we'll use the interview rather than the child having to testify, but if it would be detrimental to a child, they can go through the steps to to be able to use those, that recording. Um, with Department of Child Services, if they are moving towards, you know, child in need of services it, and uh, CHINS, child in need of services case, they can also use some of their um, court proceedings to get those interviews into the court case. Are you often called on to testify? Yeah, those of us that interview, we get subpoenaed to court Mm -hmm. um, for cases. Well, that's very important, and I, I know that can't be easy either, but it's, it's critical. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I know uh, with the city, uh, even our uh, zoo educators um, get training on what to recognize. Oh, that's good. Um, Like the kids that come there for a day camp. Let's learn about the animals. You know, what if they see a bruise or what if they see strange behavior that you've talked about? We, you know, we want to be able to keep an eye on stuff like that, too. Is, are there training opportunities available if 
someone's a babysitter, if someone's a caregiver or works in an organization that involves kids, if they want to have their staff kind of beef up their knowledge on what we've talked about today? Yeah, so I have um, been able to go out and do some trainings with professional, like people that work with kids, um, to be able to to help them be prepared. Um, so if they see something, because the one thing we haven't talked about is is mandated reporting. You know, it's really important if there's something that you see that you're concerned about with a kid. It's everybody in the state of Indiana over the age of 18's responsibility to make a report if they're concerned. Um, so we're all mandated reporters, and so we've done some work with daycares and and youth programs, um, done some training with like summer camp staff on what to, what to watch for and what do you do because it's so important to to know what to do once you have a a suspicion. So with just touching on that real quick, if, uh, you know, a family member believes something's gone on with the child, molestation, battery, whatever, uh, should they question the child about it? At what point do you go, okay, I'm not going to ask you any more questions? Because, again, you don't want them to recount it time after time after time. So if you if a child has reported something to you, you don't have to have all the details to make a report. If a child says, "Hey, somebody, you know, so and so did X," um, you can use that and say, "Okay, you know, um, it's really important to tell kids I believe you, and I want to help you, and um, that we're gonna, you know, have you talk to somebody who who can help you." And then making that report, because you don't have to know all of the details of something that's happened. If a, if a kid's told you something that makes you go, okay, this this is what happened, you make yeah. that report. Yeah, and, and I think it's important people understand that, that reports can be anonymous as well. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they can call into the police department, any, any law enforcement agency, and remain anonymous and provide information on concerns that they may have, that which would generate a, a check well-being of that child. Mm-hmm. And And then... You know, following up and making that report um, and knowing, I think it's really important because a lot of people get afraid like, oh, I'm going to ruin a reputation. I don't want to ruin somebody's reputation by making a report. There's an investigation that takes place before there's ever any media pu- exposure or any of that nature. Yeah. Exactly. Unless you're doing it yourself. Right. Posting on, yeah. yeah. And so it's really important for people to understand, like, if there's concern make the that report let the professionals investigate it because if there's nothing going on which we have those cases in my office there's nothing happening the child is safe but we're still doing it in a way that doesn't lead or suggest just gathering and then that investigation's done there's not anything that comes of it and nobody's ever publicly you know kind of brought up that that, that brings to mind another reason why you need to safeguard yourselves against it but what if how do how do you deal with guilt um internal guilt we didn't catch a case or maybe something happened after the fact and we weren't able to um we weren't able to offer services in time you know there's there's permanent damage done to this child i know you can get therapy and and things like that but is that something that you've had to deal with you know feeling inadequate I'm not sure if I'm following what you're asking. Okay, so if you have um, a case come in and you're just not able to find a reason to proceed, or an interview doesn't doesn't like go kids the way don't you tell want. me something, right. don't we know but there's you, something there? Exactly. What do you do when something like that happens? That's where. Um, so we know where our role ends. So I can talk with a kid, and there are times, and we try very hard to make sure we're matching up the right interviewer to the right kid. There's times that we have decided, oh, okay, I'm going to be the interviewer. And then the child gets there, and we're like, yeah, I'm not the right person to talk to this kid. So we're our goal, always the best interest of every child. So we get... Um, there are times, though, that, that even the right interviewer, the kid is not ready to talk about what's going on. So that's really where that investigative team works to figure out what can be done to help them. So, you know, they can still go do an investigation and figure out if there's other information that they can gather that that shows a crime has been committed. 
but really those kids that might not be ready to disclose, but there's concern something's happened, we try to make sure that they can get into therapy and talk about it so they can get to a place where they're ready. That's great. And I know law enforcement deals with that too, especially investigators. You know, you, you investigate something or you were, you, um, you go to a, a call and you, you walk away and then something bad happens afterwards. And you, I mean, that happens to all of us. And it's just one of those things where, like you said, you have to know where your role ends and you have to protect yourself also. I think I've, to add on to that, I know exactly what you're saying. You know, you know something's going on, but either they're not telling you or, you know, you just don't have enough to, to make the case. Uh, I think at the end of the day, if you have put 100% towards it and you've done everything you can and then also have that, that support system, you know, like she's saying, they go on retreats and stuff, you know, to be able to talk about it and hash things out with people you trust so your mind's right. I mean, un- unfortunately, I don't want to say unfortunately, but that's all you can do at the end of the day, right? right? And then if it comes up again, you, you give it another 100% and try to try to make that case or help that child or whatever. I mean, that's all you can do. Uh-huh. I was just talking yesterday with a case that was a tough one for me because I um you know, I didn't I didn't get the information I needed from the child and and those are hard cases, but you know that there's other things that are going on that might be able to keep them safe too and and trying to just give kids those tools to know it's okay to talk about it and it's it's okay to reach out for help and and Sometimes kids can't talk about it because they've been told they're not believed. So it's really important that we tell kids we believe them. Yeah. How often do you see kids that are used as pawns in like a custody battle or they're tired of the (laughs) way that they've been (laughs) treated? Quite often. We believe everything that kids tell us in our interviews and we encourage that we start by believing what kids tell us, and and that they go forth in the investigative piece to figure out, you know, if there's other information that's needed. Yeah, and I think that's an important part of it, too, that there's a lot of different components to these type of investigations, and, and there's those checks and balances. So, you, I mean, you have that part that, you know, uh, the complaint comes in and the interview takes place with the Hartford House, and then you have an investigative component, you know, with detectives, and then you have a prosecutor's office mm-hmm. that, that reviews that case and looks at the facts and, and circumstances surrounding it. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there's there's a lot of pieces that come into play with that. There are. And, you know, that's one of the things that we work when we do work with our teams to train them. We've um, done some work with a campaign called Start by Believing. And there really are some um, important pieces to start by believing kids and taking what they say and then going out and investigating. And I've seen some great investigations done um, where maybe the information that was presented you know, they were able to investigate and find out what was really happening. And, um, you know, it's really a team effort. We couldn't do our job without law enforcement, prosecutor's office, and Department of Child Services doing their parts. And, you know, really the hope being, how do we make things better for, for kids and for families? I think, you know, one thing that comes to mind for me is, as a parent, intuition. I mean, listen to your intuition. If you were... If something doesn't feel right, I think with a sports or activity leader or a caregiver or something does not feel right, I would not brush that off. Mm-hmm. I would stop and talk with the spouse or another parent or whomever you need to talk to, someone with your organization or the police. I mean, I'm a new I'm a new dad. I have a two year old and it just what we were talking about earlier boggles my mind that anyone would hurt my daughter. Mm-hmm. And uh I just think it's you know, if, if that voice or that feeling is there, you know, don't cast it aside. And we, you know, and I think women, we are taught just to kind of like be nice to everybody. I don't know if guys are taught the same thing. And it's so important that we pay attention to that, that uncomfortable feeling we feel inside. Um, if, if we are uncomfortable with something going on or we see, we have to pay attention to it, but we really try to just be nice, just be nice. And, you know, like we try to brush some of that I don't feel good about that. Even with our kids, like, you know, if our kids are feeling comfortable about somebody, it's okay. Encourage them to pay attention to that. And I think that's an important piece thinking about uncomfortable. If our kids don't want to give somebody a hug because they're uncomfortable about it, 
we can't make them do it. Because if we're making them do it, then we're saying, oh, your boundaries don't matter. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, hug somebody if they tell you to hug them. So we got to teach our kids to pay attention to that uh uh-oh feeling. And we've got to pay attention to it ourselves and then look into, okay, what's going on? Go ahead. Go ahead, Patty. Reflecting on the fact that only 10% of sexual abuse cases are committed by strangers. I'm trying to think. When does a child encounter a stranger? I mean, maybe at the playground. Maybe at the playground or walking home from school. I mean, walking home from school. I think. I think in that instance, at least we are all aware, mm-hmm. and that you know we're trying to protect our children in that way because there are very few instances when you would, you know, I don't know, drop the kids off at the mall and. They might meet strangers there or something like that. But, you know, we're with our children as circumstances allow. Right. And we we do try to protect them and, and take safeguards, take precautions. But, you know, those these things do happen and you just you, you have to stay aware. That is a good point. So just naturally, because they are usually with somebody that you know or they know, right. you know, if you drop them off the sitter or school mm-hmm. uh, or they're with you, they're most always with somebody that they know. Right, because we don't so. just kick the kids out the door and let them play all summer long anymore, do we? No. I know I don't. Yeah, I'm out there with them. Well, and you know, another piece, and this really gets into as kids are aging and, and these things, mm. these devices that we all use. Right. You know, we haven't even brushed that subject because... Ooh, that's kids. a rabbit hole. We could do a whole episode. We're going to do a part two. We're going to do a part two, Jen. Well, I mean, you know, we really have to be aware of what's going on with our kids and what they're seeing on the internet or apps they're using and things like that. Because, so I was thinking about it as you were talking that okay, yeah, public places, but really, where where are kids meeting more and more? strangers is online Mm -hmm. and yet kids don't think of those people as strangers because you know that's like i've developed a relationship this is my boyfriend this is my best friend this is connection right so kids start making these connections online um with people that they really don't know right and And who who is this person oh it's it's a friend of a friend it's like that that doesn't mean you know this person right you do not know anything about them where they come from what their family's like Sorry, personal experience there. And and, and when you start thinking about apps and people need to know, you know, what kids are on and and what they're doing, Um, even, you know, YouTube is something people need to be aware. There's a lot of things on YouTube. It's not as as, um, safe, safe as, you know, we we think and, and as, you know, we need to be just aware of what our kids are seeing. Jeez, I just set my mom up with YouTube. I should give her a warning. <laughs> I think I like, it can be a rat. I mean that yeah. it can be a rabbit hole and, and just, yeah. you know, once you get into yeah. the next video suggested. There were a lot of like YouTube videos I saw that were misconceiving of like what you'll pull up and then all of a sudden they'll like dip down to something negative and derogatory and still like a cartoon, like very like child manner. Right. Yeah, it blows my mind that there's people taking the energy to create that stuff and post it on there. It's just, yeah, but that's, again, that's another rabbit hole for sure. Um, but I think that's, a, that's an area we do need to be real, well aware of, Absolutely, too. 100%. I totally agree. Um, I think this was a great talk. I think we need to do it again sometime. Thanks, Jen. We really appreciate it. Well, I really appreciate coming to chat with you guys. And, you know, again, we're so grateful for, you know, the support of Lafayette Police and and the detectives we work with are fantastic. And, you know, we're so lucky to live in this community and and have such proactive law enforcement agency. Yeah. So check out the, uh, so Mm hartford.net for your wish list if you want to do your part as a citizen, business, organization, whatever, to to donate and help out. Um, you could also register for the foot pursuit 5k on April 13th at SIA. Yeah. And we'll have, us. we'll have, uh, all that information in if the notes. Tom will put it in there for us. You know what though? If you're not a runner on Saturday, April 6th, there's a comedy night 
Stand Up for Kids is Saturday, April 6th from 6.30 to 10 at the, the Outpost. The Outpost? The Outpost. And so, you know, if you like to laugh and maybe not run. Now, I'm registered to run, but I'm not a runner. My whole family is registered. <laughs> um, but we're also going to be laughing the weekend before at the Outpost. Okay, nice. Yeah, we could probably put that on there too. Yeah, I can right. get that tweeted out as well. Well, Thank you. What's that? If you're not a runner and you still want to run in the foot pursuit, we're doing the Couch to 5K on our Twitter. So it can motivate you the next three, four weeks leading up to get you in shape. Yeah. Thank you, Megan. Yes, she's been doing all the work posting that every single day because it's at the end of it, it'll be nine weeks that we've posted for the Couch to 5K. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you for that. It's a great motivator. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, again, we really appreciate you being here. I definitely think we're going to have to do a part two uh, to dive down into the social media and internet portion of it. But I think this gives, gives I know me, I learned a lot today, uh, people a better insight on, on what you ladies do. This has been Inside the Squad, a podcast from the Lafayette Police Department in Lafayette, Indiana. Inside the Squad is a community outreach podcast and is hosted by Specialist DNO Shields and Lieutenant Brian Phillips of the Crime Prevention Unit within the department. On this episode of Inside the Squad, we were joined by Jen Bouchore-Berry, who is the Executive Director of the Hartford House Child Advocacy Center. We discussed the Hartford House's history, mission, and how they are helping protect the lives of young people in our area. Production assistance provided by the City of Lafayette IT Department. You can email show ideas and questions to us at podcast at lafayette.in.gov. Join us on Instagram, Twitter, Nixle, and Nextdoor. <laughs>